no idea what we're going to call this episode, but basically what we're going to talk about is... Shit, what's the, the name of that movie? He the Last Thing He Wanted. Yeah, yeah we're going to talk about that movie, pacing, and montages. Mm-hmm. And this idea came about because I had read that The Last Thing He Wanted, just some article popped out on how it was just incomprehensible. It was a Netflix movie, so I was like, all right, I got to... I gotta take a peek at the first five minutes of this at least. So I ended up watching the whole thing. And I think even just the first five minutes, which Latif has only seen the first five, is a really good example of pacing and way too much information being thrown at you way too quickly. So basically, if you're gonna listen to this, just watch the first five minutes first. Or if you've already seen it, then you know what's up. But it starts off with Anne Hathaway. She's like a reporter or something. There's some kind of commotion. She's fleeing this third world country while there's really, really, really thick, big, wordy like exposition voiceover happening while there's gunfights and then there's text appearing on screen. There's so much stuff happening all at once that I had no idea what to concentrate on. And by the end of the first scene and by the end of the movie, it was a, what did I just watch? And not in a like contemplative way, in a way where it was like, I truly didn't understand what was going on at any point. And I mean, I got that she's a reporter. Eventually I clicked into that it's in the eighties or the seventies or something like that. Cause none of them had cell phones and they're always using pay phones and shit like that. <laughs> and Ben Affleck's a politician. Her dad, Willem Dafoe, is into some stuff. Mm -hmm. I didn't really get what it was. (laughs) And when there's twists in the movie, because it's a thriller, when there's twists, they're done in that typical twist way where someone says a line of dialogue, and then you'll see Anne Hathaway's face, and she has this look of realization, and then they'll cut to things you've already seen, like that one line of dialogue that was delivered gives new meaning to these scenes previously. And that's the look. That's why she has this look of revelation on her face. But when you're watching it, you're like, I don't know what's happened up until this point. I don't understand this line of dialogue. I don't know what the twist is. The only thing I understand is that it has importance to the characters, and I don't even understand why it has that. <laughs> so it's just... <clears throat> to me, the movie just suffers from really exceptionally bad pacing and just way too much information happening all the time. It doesn't help that the dialogue is done in a very, in a way where you almost need prior knowledge of what's going on to understand it. Like a good example of doing that, but I think in a really good way is, have you seen Primer, that Shane Carruth movie? I haven't. Okay. You should watch that movie. It's really, really good movie done for like five grand or whatever too. Um, But in it, they accidentally discover time travel. Him and his buddies, they're engineers in the garage. They work in his garage, and um, they accidentally discover time travel. But the way they talk about the science, they didn't dumb anything down. And it's meant to confuse you. Mm-hmm. You know the characters know what they're talking about, but unless you're an engineer and you have this advanced understanding, you're not going to know what they're talking about. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because the story is told in a way where you can still keep up. And when they make this huge... Mm -hmm. discovery they kind of dumb what they've discovered 
down a little bit so you understand, okay, it is time travel, this is how it works, right. but all the the wiring of how it works, you have no fucking idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last thing he wanted, it's you don't understand the wiring of it, you don't understand what's going on, you just don't understand anything. So I asked the Tief to watch the first five minutes, or the whole thing, it, just having a feeling you would watch the first five and be like, I can't do this. <laughs> to see what you thought of it. So what did you think? Well, I I guess I'll have to play devil's advocate a little bit because I wasn't necessarily, like, completely repulsed by it. I, mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting enough to keep me watching through, the, you know, the opening before it kind of settles down and the movie starts in a way. Um, I, was, I was definitely a little like, what the hell's going on? Because it it doesn't really like hold your hand through what's happening like you just kind of start off in this jungle in El Salvador and no one is really speaking and someone is like taking photos um you get pretty quickly that they're taking photos of things they probably shouldn't be um but then before that there's like a bunch of stock footage and text on screen and someone typing um, so I, you know, immediately when I put those three things together, I thought, oh, this is a journalist. She's out there documenting something that is kind of messed up happening that people probably don't know about. In general, like, I think that's kind of the point of what all of it was. And then after seeing all that, I was like, okay, that's what it's about. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, where. I think definitely people could get really confused or kind of frustrated by it is when there's specifically when there's text on screen, we're going to want to read it because we're going to think it's important Mm. or integral to the story. So when there's text on screen or something kind of like flashes by and you miss it, you're like, what? Do I need to know that? (laughs) Will it make it? Just for people that haven't seen it the text comes and goes so fast that you can't read it yeah and it's not placed on the part of the screen where it's easier to read or something it's just kind of like wherever it's very like fast paced not really caring about whether it's legible or not but i think personally i think they did that on purpose for it to kind of show the kind of frantic necessity to get it on paper to get it like documented before anything happened it it was kind of like the maybe the inside mind state of the journalist who was just like, I need to make sure this gets on paper and, and it gets out there. Or or maybe it was just um, to set the tone of like how serious it all was. I, I can't really say, but I didn't necessarily see it as like they, they were trying to give you information but failed at giving it. I thought of it more as like mm-hmm. a stylistic choice and kind of like a frenetic speed and energy that maybe made you feel a little anxious watching it like what like what the hell is going on because for you know for a while you're like what the hell is going on after the mm-hmm. scene in the jungle it goes to like some office in washington you're like what where are we now and who are these people <laughs> and then um you know i didn't watch the whole movie but once it got to the scene where she sits down at some conference or something i i, I stopped there because i didn't really want mm-hmm. it's not really something i'd watch anyways but um yeah so here's the thought i had about the text like taking 
If you were to say, is this, before you ask, is this a stylistic choice? Like you said, it, it could be that it's meant to reflect the mind of the journalist. I got to write this down and there's so much crazy shit going on that there isn't really time to digest it all. But me as a viewer, and like if I was, we did this a lot during what we don't say because there's people texting and we would like look at the text, say, is this on screen long enough for people to know what's going on? And if there was, even to the locked picture, when we'd watch it again, it's like, oh, you know, this text, I think most people will only be able to read the first three quarters of it. We should lengthen it by a second or two, right? Mm -hmm. So me as an audience member watching all this text, I got really frustrated and confused. So I watched it the opening scene this is I'm watching it and a text comes on and I can kind of read like 60% of it and then it disappears and I'm like oh that was weird and then another piece of text comes up same thing happens and I'm like I think I'm missing something like I gotta be able to read these things I feel like it's the first scene this this is everything they're setting up and if I miss these things I'm gonna miss the movie and I'm not gonna get it all so I would rewind when something would come on screen I'd pause it read the text then it would go and then it, I would let it play out, and if I couldn't read it, I would rewind, pause it, read it again, and I can't remember what any of the text said. I can't remember most of the movie, if I'm to be honest, because it's illegible to me. Um, but I think at that point, if that's a style thing you're going for, what I would ask is like, okay, is the kind of the little style boost we get by doing this worth it? Because people are going to be distracted and they're going to get frustrated pretty quickly, I would imagine, especially because it's the first thing we're showing them when they don't have time, enough time to read it. Like, are we losing more than we gain here? That would be my first thought anyways. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, th I think maybe, you know, if I were to go at that, opening scene I'd almost make it even more difficult to read and more kind of fast paced because when you give them just enough that they can kind of read it mm -hmm. it's kind of like it, it kind of makes you feel like maybe I'm not reading fast enough or I need to pay even more attention whereas I'd almost like take that option away like you do it so fast that they mm -hmm. can't keep up with it so they kind of know that they're not supposed to get it all you know it's it's almost like like yeah, that's a fair. matrix kind of thing where it's just a bunch of information and you know it's all kind of connected some in some way but you're not supposed to really get it all I think if they went at that pace then it would have been like okay you know I'm not supposed to get it it's, it's kind of a stylistic thing I'll just enjoy the the montage and then by the end of it we'll go into the movie it's supposed to set a tone um, yeah totally yeah. I think one thing that made me even more confused, and, and like, before I say this, I'll, we're talking about this because it's a, it's a good thing that listeners can watch and kind of learn from. It's how I didn't go to Latif and say, "Dude, I watch this movie. We have to shit all over it. <laughs> like, this isn't uh, us being mean for the sake of being mean in a review thing. Like, you can gen genuinely learn a lot from this. I think." But one of the things that I think really didn't help with this whole like really fast-paced text and whatnot and kind of getting lost in it, not knowing what to focus on, is everything in the scene for me was really fast-paced. Like the voiceover 
of what Anne Hathaway is saying mm. is really, really quick. She probably says like a thousand words in those first five minutes. She just machine guns those. Everything you're seeing on screen, like image-wise, not the text, is really frenetic too. Like she's doing this thing, she knows she doesn't have much time to do, and then she's running from these people who have guns, and there's like this little chase from what I remember. So it's everything that's going on is so fast-paced that I've just felt overloaded. Um, and I think it would be a little bit different if they had, if the writing took four times as long on screen, for instance, but the background images were still that crazy, or if the writing was really, really quick, but the images on screen were longer. It wasn't everything was just crammed down your throat so quickly. Mm -hmm. um, if you could, like if it was a Latif movie and they said, you know, here's the script, you can't change it, but how do you want to pace this first five minutes? What would you do to make it more, I don't want to say digestible, because that almost makes it sound just more generic, but so people would get what you're going for more. You know, I think maybe I wouldn't really use it as a way to give information. I think maybe more is to give some context just about like what the subject matter is. Like I I don't think it would be like I wouldn't approach this as a scene to give like details about like who a character is or what they're trying to do. I'd just more use it as like a an opportunity to set the tone uh you, you know like kind of like the intro to narcos like the season season one of narcos season two they have i haven't seen season three but they have like you know the intro to the episode it's a lot of stock footage and maybe some stuff that they shot but it's played over some um, music and it's cut in an interesting way it looks all kind of archival but it kind of tells you a bit about like what the world we're going into and I think like I'd approach it in that way with you know with some music make it a bit of a montage but at the same time I think the choice here there's even those like moments where like they're taking photos and it's it cuts to like a black and white still and um, I'm not exactly sure what the feeling I'm supposed to get from that is but I, I definitely remembered it so I don't know, like I, I don't necessarily dislike it, but I do feel like that, that voiceover that Anne Hathaway was giving wasn't necessarily supposed to be like an information dump. It felt more like it was an emotional voiceover that was kind of like appealing to like something um, important as opposed to like telling you about specifics of like something. So I didn't necessarily feel like I needed to, like, retain that information more. I just need to feel the energy behind what she was saying. So, you know, again, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm not, uh, I think, like, if you look, if you look at Dee Reese's uh, last film, Mudbound, um, there's a similar thing in the beginning where there's a, a voiceover and you see a bunch of images, but... It gives you a very different feeling, and it's something I, I think it's a good example of like something that works really well. So it might be interesting to some, for for anyone to look at and compare and see like what's different about them. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, 
I think it's interesting that you started as a stylistic choice too, because pretty much through the the first five minutes and the entire movie, I had really thought that it was someone saying, "Okay, your first cut of this is like six hours long. We're not releasing a six-hour movie. We got to get this down." And instead of chopping plot lines, because there's so many plot lines in this movie, there's like five trillion characters. They all get try to get a plot line. None of them end up making sense, but mm-hmm. every, there's a lot of characters and each of them try to have a plot line and an arc. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like it was just a movie that was straight up too long. They didn't either didn't want to cut a plot line or a character or it just wouldn't have made sense had they done that. Hold on, give me one second. Okay. That's too loud. Yeah, so I really felt like it was just too many plot lines they had and they didn't know what to do with it. So I felt like they just kept trimming and trimming and trimming and getting rid of the kind of breathing room that they needed to to make it work. And that, to me, that's why the text at the beginning was so short. Because they were like, let's keep cutting this down, reducing, reducing, reducing. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie felt like that to me, where it was just like, here's a bunch of information, here's a bunch of information, here's a bunch of information, here's a bunch of information until the end when you're like, I didn't really get any of that. Mm-hmm. To me, it felt like a, an editing problem, you know, what, whether or not it was because of length or just straight up that's the style they were going for, that the movie didn't make any sense to me. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I didn't see the whole movie, so it's hard for me to yeah. extrapolate on how how it plays into the rest of it but I, I do get this sense because you know I scrubbed through it um, just to maybe see like what how does this movie look later on and it looked like a lot of people sitting and talking in offices and buildings and stuff and kind of like a, a bureaucratic thriller if that makes sense but I immediately thought of a movie that I saw recently that I actually really enjoyed um, which is kind of similar. It happens in offices and government buildings, and um, it, it's got like a similar maybe infrastructure. But the film was very engaging, and I liked it a lot. Um, and it was what is the it? report with Adam Driver. Oh yeah, that looks great. Yeah, it, it was really enjoyable, and they, you know, they had some really aggressive stylistic choices in this film too but it was so compartmentalized like they they did a really great job of like separating one part of the story from another and also I thought the cinematography was really great for kind of like what people might think is a boring movie I thought it looked really nice and the pacing of the movie is is so controlled so there's an example of a movie that I think is maybe counter to the last thing he wanted um it might be worth checking out but i think like another movie that comes to mind that you could compare to that where a lot of information needs to be given to the audience and the only way you can do it is through scenes and kind of maybe some backstory but not in a way that's uh kind of like an information dump would be um in the the two popes I don't know if you've seen that. No, I haven't seen that one. Well, I am not a Catholic, and I know nothing about Catholicism, <laughs> and I have very 
limited information aside from like the smoke thing about how popes are chosen and by the time i got to the end of the movie i was like oh i know the story like i'm not like confused by anything in fact it made me more interested in kind of the history of all that stuff but it gave me all the all the information it gave you kind of backstories of like important characters and it also gave you like the choices and everything that they had to make going into the future without kind of doing too much hand-holding because a lot of it could can get very confusing but at no point was I like wait what's going on but Mm -hmm. it's still not um just laid out for you You have to kind of pay attention to know what's going on so you know there are examples of movies out there that that kind of do that and and in the two popes uh if I'm not mistaken the the movie starts with like some news footage and stuff about like what do you call like news broadcasts of like the popes uh dying Mm -hmm. and someone else being elected to be pope and it's all like stuff from actual newsreels but it at no point are you like what the hell is going on (laughs) but i don't don't think that was the intention of it uh but you know again with with the last thing he wanted maybe that was a, a very aggressive stylistic choice that just didn't work for a lot of people uh Mm -hmm. so you know i i applaud the filmmaker for trying something very different but i guess in general people just didn't react to it well (laughs) because a a lot of people seem really confused (laughs) (laughs) yeah like uh going back to that initial article the reason that i i found out about the existence of this movie was it was someone saying I think it was like IGN or someone, don't quote me on that, but some bigger outlet saying, usually I would review a movie and give it a score, like a 6 out of 10 or whatever. They were like, I watched the last thing he wanted, and I still have no idea what's going on, so I can't review this movie at all. (laughs) And I still don't know what he Uh, wanted. Yeah, (laughs) totally. It's like, okay, well, I feel like this is at least going to be educational or maybe i'll watch it and i'll really enjoy it but if you read the comments of what people say about it it is largely like just confusion and i think there's it's not confusion in a way where like you've seen upstream color right yeah yeah like that movie is i find it can be confusing but it's it's meant to be confusing Mm -hmm. It's like it's art housey. It's just gonna kind of show you this stuff. Mm-hmm. You do what you want with it. The last thing he wanted is not that. Like the last thing he wanted, I feel, wants to have a really um, defined plot with a lot of character. But yeah, I'd be really curious to know if it was just straight up too long and they had to cut it down, or if it was just the director or the editor or whatnot saying like this is we should go for the style it's going to be awesome but i'd be curious to know why yeah yeah definitely um yeah again like i i didn't watch the movie but uh, i wasn't necessarily super it wasn't on my radar at all so (laughs) Yep, totally fair. All right, so before we move on, do you have any other final thoughts on what people might be able to like learn from the first five minutes of it? I don't know. Maybe just 
refine and take your time. I think like you don't want to make anything seem like it was a mistake, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And from from what I'm getting from your reaction is like you feel like it was definitely not like a purposeful move. And I think in general yeah. you don't want anything you do to, to feel like it was done through uncertain circumstances. You want to make sure that it was like a deliberate choice and people understand that you had a reason for doing it. So just, you know, maybe just for people to clarify and really nail the thing they're going for. Yeah, that's actually one thing that I got to credit you for. Um, I had never really thought of how deliberate a choice was in a movie or whether it's something you're watching or making. Um, and I think that's something that you actually really, really taught me through you know, all of our working together and whatnot. And now I think about it literally all the time. And I think it's made me much, much better at what I do. So thanks, Lizzie. <laughs> you're well no i'm just kidding but no i i I think it's like crucial for every um writer director filmmaker in general there's there's too much of a lack lack of clear direction and voice sometimes when you Mm -hmm. when you don't have a strong filter um that you put put your work through that that's uniquely you it becomes very generic and that's the last thing you want so well actually that that's really interesting let me ask you this when you're let's start with writing if you want to talk about just filmmaking in general for this question sure but how do you craft something in a way where you feel it does have style and voice whether it's your style or like a style you're trying to go for just how do you craft it in a way where you think you achieve that and it doesn't turn into generic mush? Because I think a lot of the time, especially like when people send us scripts, a lot of the time it's just like, I think they're kind of like baby writers, so to speak. And it's like, I, I know what you're going for here, but this is something that's been done to death. And it, if it hits that generic tone then it loses voice in my opinion so what's what's your take on all that when you say that immediately i go to the guy's like no no no, you don't get it it's an assassin and he wants vengeance what (laughs) that's never been done before (laughs) um i I really i really think you have to follow your your own kind of guilty interest like the things that really kind of get you excited those are the things you have to like take serious and and follow um just by example there's there's a scene that i'm writing in a script where these two characters meet in a hotel but there's something weird about the hotel and that there's just a cat that wanders around the hotel because it lives in the hotel it it came came in through the streets and is now a resident of the hotel and people just know it as the hotel cat and that's actually a real thing in a hotel in New York. And I wanted to include that. So I made sure to put it into that story. And easily you could say, like, what was this, this cat thing? Like, what is that all about? And it's like, well, I think it's interesting. I want it to be in the movie. And I want, mm-hmm. I want that cat to kind of mean something in the story. Whether it does or not, it's just like something that I choose to follow. Whereas if you... Um, get another writer they might not find that interesting 
so they'd skip it all together and they'd just write the scene the way they think it should be so it's following those little kind of weird idiosyncratic kind of guilty pleasure uh, facts that only you would find interesting that you have to kind of hold on to otherwise you lose the things that are interesting to you yeah that's totally fair one thing that I find myself um, doing to get to a point where you might have you know like this interesting hotel cat or something that's a bit more unique and a bit more you is if I'm starting to write a scene whether it's an outline or even if I've written the scene just play it over my head again whether it's a written scene or just an outline you know Frank walks the door and say like okay have I seen this a billion times is this generic because if it is generic to the point of you've seen it that many times odds are it's going to be super boring so just say like you know what could I do to make this more interesting for instance this new script that I'm writing the one that I I pitched to you about that character, or I've read you like the first seven pages. Mm -hmm. Um, The whole way I'm writing the script is what is the craziest shit that could happen? Just because I don't generally write that way. Like what we don't say is a very grounded thing. It's very much about people not talking to each other and it's very human. And I feel like most scripts I've written kind of follow that pattern even though you know like the one I wrote after that is a horror but it still is very small and human I think so for this one I'm like let's see what I can do if I just totally flip that on its head um so I'm asking myself like what's the craziest shit that could happen in all these scenes to the point where like I intentionally said no boundaries so I almost had a part of it where I was like what if I brought ghosts into it (laughs) just went off the rails (laughs) and since it's something I don't usually do it's actually making my writing a lot more interesting now I'm not when I'm writing these things I'm not like okay what if a a comet came from space and took someone's head off Mm -hmm. it's not like super shit just happens out of nowhere it's still is character driven and everything but it is crazier stuff and it's opening up my mind to a different way of storytelling and I feel like even if this isn't the way that I'm going to write a ton of scripts in the future when I go back to those more grounded scripts that I'll write I think they'll be more interesting because a part of me will have that little spice in my arsenal of what if something crazy happened here and you can choose to dial crazy up to 10 or to 2 or to 5 or whatnot just to make it more interesting but that I would recommend it as a writing practice I think it's so far, I'm having a blast doing it, and it's really, really interesting. Right. Do you do anything like that just to kind of, I don't know, inject steroids into your writing? No, not necessarily. I think the only thing that I, if I'm having like trouble with something and I really want to turn it on its head, I'll, I'll just like rewrite it over and over, and start adding characters and removing characters without even like thinking about it, and, and kind of, letting it go wherever. Um, that's probably the only like really crazy thing I do, which is pretty boring. But, uh, (laughs) you know, before you approach anything, like, I think it's important to ask yourself, like, what, why is the approach that you have in this scene, in this story, or in this film in general, why is it unique to anything else out there? 
because you don't want to just do something mm-hmm. that's already done because you like it you have to bring something new to the table so you know with with a part of the film um it happens during world war Two, and i wanted to approach it in a very specific way that i thought was interesting i wanted to show like a, a specifically all black battalion that was in italy during world war Two, and if you look at all the movies about World War Two, there are hardly any black people on them. I think yeah, there's a lot of whites. Saving Private Ryan, the blackest guy there is Vin Diesel, and he's Italian in the movie. <laughs> I would have loved it if you said Tom Hanks. <laughs> that would have been funny too. But you know, <laughs> there were African Americans on the beach on D-Day, and they were in the army. But you know, in war movies, oftentimes they're not portrayed or shown at all um so i wanted to specifically focus on a group of black soldiers called the buffalo soldiers in a part of italy and i thought it was kind of funny and interesting and and really uh uh, unique and a point of view that we haven't really seen before so i wanted to do that as opposed to just doing you know same old we're on the beach on d-day on omaha beach or wherever um, and I didn't want to do the kind of thing we've seen before. I wanted to approach it in a new way. So it's just kind of about like picking something that hasn't really been uncovered and turning over every rock. Because it's not something that I would have just like, I want to do this. It's through a lot of reading that I found that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, that's kind of interesting. Let me use that to kind of take the story in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um when you, I think we've talked about this before, but when you start to write, your ideas largely, or sorry, what you choose to write about largely comes from ideas, right? It doesn't come from theme or like a scene you have in your head. It's, you know, I've read, read about these black soldiers, go do that, or it's more idea-based than anything? Um, definitely not like themes and stuff, but, you know, sometimes it can be scenes or just images. Like for short films, a lot of the times, even Crazy for You, just started with an image in my head. Actually, the first shot of the movie is the image that I had in my head when I first thought of the movie. Um, And that's kind of what led to that. Uh, So, you know, there's an example of it just starting from an image. But first, you know, other things, it, it will just be kind of like an idea or a concept that I think is interesting. And then from there, I just kind of snowball it until become something that I can work with but it's very very rare that I approach something with like a theme it's hard for me to think that way I guess it's not that I don't think it's useful I just my brain doesn't function in a way where I can think of something very abstract and turn it into something finite like a script Mm -hmm. yeah that's fair I think it's so interesting how we basically write in the exact opposite ways but we work so well together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's like that synergy that, that creates something a little different, which is always fun. All right. Well, what, why don't you kick it off? What it, what about this new writing of yours is different from the way you've done it? And why are you doing it in this new way? It's It's a lot more structured and kind of laid out. I think it's just because there's so many things that I wanted to make sure I hit along the way. 
just like interesting story points or interesting character moments, but also just introductions of different timelines throughout the story. I felt like I needed to kind of know how things uh, would show up on the page, but those are kind of broad strokes between like a moment, I don't know, just maybe like a moment where, you know, a guy has to get to a building but then he's got like 30 things to do before he gets to a building. I have to like kind of freestyle between him getting to the building and all the things he has to do. So like there's a lot of like room for me to play with ideas there. So it's still kind of got a lot of flexibility for me to play around with. But I think like even now I'm, I, I'm at like page 130 or something and Jesus Christ there's like another 40 pages left and I, I feel in my head before it gets to a conclusion but I kind of know what wow. needs to happen in those 40 pages but it's a lot and I know I need to cut things down well I was going to ask if you have 130 pages and, and you picture it's going to be 170 is it 130 pages of like finished script or is it like you're just throwing everything at it and then you'll do like a polish and that'll carve 25 pages off no it's pretty it's pretty close to like what it should be just in that I'm not I'm not writing in stuff that's just like completely um, me kind of freestyling ideas everything is kind of leading towards where it's supposed to go but you know I, I'll have to admit that like in the first act I went on pretty long there's like a lot of stuff that I kind of put in there that eventually leads to where it's supposed to go but I do know think I have to cut a lot of that down and I had a lot of fun writing it but I'm like ugh I'm dreading having to it's just too much I'm dreading having to pick things to like take out take to, yeah. yeah because I, I really enjoyed writing it all but I do know that I can't like have like a 170 page script you know? yeah that's a behemoth man yeah but it, it you know it starts in the 1920s and it ends in the 1950s so it's 30 years <laughs> a lot to tackle yeah. alright so I've got two questions for you um, since it's the first time that you've gone with an outline what does your outline look like and second just because I'm curious um, when I write like how I just mentioned are you going to go through and do a polish when I write like my first draft of the first draft kind of thing I'll do it very or I have again it's another thing I'm changing with this script I'll do it very um, clinically mm-hmm. Like, it'll be Frank walks to door, mm-hmm. opens door, um, Jane is there, then they'll have their conversation, Frank closes door. And the way the, I write the, the action in the description is very boring, like, very boring. <laughs> There's nothing interesting about Frank walks the door, and when I go through and do a polish, that's when I'll kind of try and add a little bit of, like, poetry to it, kind so to speak, and like, okay, you know... Frank walks the door with this intent. Here's some things to kind of spice it up and give you more of the world. Do you do that, or do you just straight go for what you mean? No, I, I, for this for sure, I've been really just going for exactly what I want. Um, I have this weird feeling like if I if I finish a scene and I move on to the next scene, but I know I didn't write the last scene as well as I could have, I feel really really mm-hmm. weird. Like it feels wrong. And I, and I have to, like, track back until I fix it, get it perfectly. 
Yeah, I've done that before too. Uh, so you know, like I'll be writing scene description and describing the place and and naming the characters and describing all the characters and making sure everything exactly how I want it to be. And if I do that, then I feel better about moving on to the next scene. And I think I'll have to do that for the rest of the script. And the downside is it's going to take a little longer and I'll be a little more frustrated in the process. But by the time I'm done and I start that rewrite from the beginning, it'll be pretty much filled out. Like everything is there. I just have to adjust things on a very slight basis. Whereas if I kind of like ran through it pretty quickly, I'd be doing a lot of work on the second draft. So I think the good thing is once I get to the second draft, it'll be really fine tuning and I'll feel a lot better about going through it. And I can be a little more nitpicky as opposed to like trying to fill in large blanks. And um, what your outline look like since it's the first time you've ever used one? Um, I don't know why I did this, but I, I went to Google and I opened Google Slides kind of like powerpoint and i would just write mm -hmm. in giant blocks of information and i would write like a scene header so i get like the scene header exactly how i want it to be like the name of the location and stuff because i would use real locations and giant text of uh description of what what's going to happen in this scene or in this part of the story and it, it came out to be about like 20 slides so like 20 cards almost, but it's all on mm -hmm. my computer. So I could just like kind of jump through them and, and kind of pick which ones I wanted. And there's maybe like two or three of them that I got rid of, but generally they're all still kind of in order and I've been using them as just like a guide and to make sure I don't miss any kind of quirky little fun things that I wanted to make sure were in the script. I'd, I'd write them down and put like an asterisk beside it. So it was really more to make sure I didn't lose any ideas or, or any thoughts that I had that I thought were interesting. Even sometimes just like lines of dialogue that I thought were funny or interesting, I'd write down in quotes. So when you go through these slides, there's just like big chunks of information that if you read them on their own, you'd have no idea what they were about. But in the context of the script, they're directly correlated to what the, what the movie is talking about. So that's kind of how I had it laid out. Yeah. That's cool. And that's the outlining that I'm used to. I do, like, that's basically the outline I've done for pretty much every script. Like, here's some scene ideas, here's line dialogue, just here's a bunch of ideas, generally in the order that I think they're going to happen, but that might change when I get to scripting. I get that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the reason I feel like I had to do it this way was because there was so much information that that I needed to get across. And there's so much information that I didn't want to forget that I, I wanted to make sure everything was written in, in some form somewhere so that I could go back to it. And I think it's because the story is so dense and there's so much happening. There's so many characters that I didn't want to lose any ideas. Whereas with something simpler, you know, like with even Crazy For You, which is like a 24, 25 page short film script no outlining at all i just kind of knew what i wanted to happen and just wrote it um where it happens in like a span of a few like three days there's like a few characters and i kind of know what the conversations are going to be but you know with the other 170 page 
screenplay. There's no way I could retain that. I had to get it down somewhere. <laughs> and you know what's funny? The I, I was looking at different screenplays just so I can get an idea of like, you know, is there anyone out, out there writing scripts as long as I'm I'm writing this thing? Or am I just making like a, a huge mistake? And should I just be cutting shit out of this screenplay? And then like a movie I really like was Benjamin Button. And then the screenplay for that is 180 pages. Oh, and it does span over like, I don't know, 50, 60 years. So I was like, okay, I think I'm in the okay ballpark. <laughs> I'm not going to beat myself up too yeah. much. I remember the guy that wrote Minority Report. Yeah saying that the only reason they got it greenlit was because they had this script and I think it was like 240 pages or something like that and the studio's like well you know we're not going to greenlight it until you get it down to like call it 160 Mm -hmm. he's like literally so all we did was chop out a couple little information blocks and then change the margins on the pages just to like cheat the system so technically it was 160 pages but really it wasn't oh my god which, you know, good for them. They got it made, and it was a really good movie. Yeah, I mean, you got to cheat sometimes some in some way. But... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. This, this screenwriting thing is such a, such a drudge sometimes, but when you get, like, those moments right or you find something that really works or kind of speaks in the way that you think it should, it, it's probably the most exciting feeling ever. Yeah, definitely. And I love how it's something that's very personal. Like, people can try and teach you left, right, and center. This is the way you do it. This is how this, this, and this happens. But as long as you write something really good that is super interesting, you can do it however the fuck you want to. And I love that. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a few times in this in this script where I do something, like, completely off-format for a screenplay, but I felt like gave the information that I was trying to get across very clearly in a very aggressive way but I was like yeah, this reads really well the way it's written like this it's not really screenplay format but I'm going to leave it in like this this is little things like that you know making choices that someone might say like you can't do that it's like yeah I don't care <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of ties into the whole voice thing to me that is giving your script voice mm-hmm. yeah you got to break the rules um, yeah totally yeah, I've been finding it interesting. Like I mentioned, I'm writing this next thing without really having an outline, mainly because it's the first like four, three, four pages of it was just a dream I had. I had this dream. I woke up and I was like, "What the fuck was that? I gotta write that down." <laughs> so I wrote it down, and then the next morning I'm looking at it, and I got these ideas for like these other characters that can populate this kind of world. So I wrote them down. I was like, "Okay, that's interesting." And then I remember thinking about it. I'm like, where the hell does this go? Mm. And I had a couple ideas, but like I really couldn't break it. And you know what ended up being the thing that kind of launched me into writing was ever since um, what we don't say, every time I write a script, I can't seem to start writing it until I find a song that has the tone that I'm going for, or at least like the emotionality mm-hmm. of it. So, like, yeah, I had that with what we don't say, everything I've written in between, and this dream script that I had. I was like, I don't know what it is. And I went searching for that song, and I found it. And I just listened to that on repeat 
for a little while and it's like okay I think I kind of I can write this now so I wrote down a couple like here's what could happen not really an outline but like a loose maybe this this and this and even then it I imagine it only goes to like halfway or three quarters of the way through and I'm making just I'm just writing shit to get there um, but it's really interesting to try and find it that way and it's almost like well, well your characters are telling you this is what's happening instead of you saying alright here's the plot and let's bring the characters to it and mold it all together it's a really interesting way to do it I don't know if it'll be what I end up doing for the majority of scripts but I'm really glad that I'm trying this new format and like I mentioned new writing style where I'm just trying the craziest shit and I think it's still going to be my voice of being grounded and um, believable mm. through the character, but there's crazy stuff that goes down. And one other thing that I wanted to ask you, actually, um, how I mentioned usually in the first draft, I'll write, he walks the door, this, this, very clinical. I'm not doing that at all. It's very, like, I'm going for every line being kind of beautiful with description without making it too long because I think that can be that can bog it down a lot but I am the one thing that this is making me ask myself all the time is is this overwritten and I'm constantly worried that I'm putting too many flourishes on the sentence do you ever think about that when you're writing no I feel like I've got a good handle on like when when I'm going a little too far and I don't, I don't mm -hmm. feel like I often jump over that line, but I do, I do feel like because like I, I, I write very visually, and that like I see what I, I write what I see in my head. Sometimes I'll describe mm -hmm. things a little too much, but that's really just for myself. Like that, I want it to be on the page as clear as I see it in my head, and then you can always, you know, reduce that a little bit later on. Whereas like I'll describe like a, an apartment. A little too much just because I want to make sure I get that image out of my head and then in a rewrite I might like just simplify it a lot more yeah I think that's good I mean I've I've only ever read one thing that I would consider to be just unbearably overwritten, overwritten. Yeah. but I remember I couldn't even get through the first page it was describing colors and stuff I read the first page and I was like I have no idea what the fuck this is mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm looking at I don't know anything that's <laughs> happening and I actually think it's a really good uh, like valuable lesson for someone to find something that is that overwritten because if you read something like that and you truly get lost in how overwritten it is you will never overwrite and if you do you'll be like shit that's overwritten and you'll immediately underwrite it <laughs> yeah in a weird way like I think like especially for for young writers who are trying to do this like they're so it's so important to them as it should be and you know and even to me it is so important to write a, a script and and have have ideas like put onto this page so we can maybe one day make make it into a film it's it is very important to us but when you approach the writing itself as if it's the most important thing in the world that's when you start to overwrite and i almost think like you have to mm -hmm. you have to write screenplays with the kind of abandon that a you know a coffee shop poet does they just kind of like scribble their ideas onto a napkin and they're like that's pretty cool you have to kind of approach it in that way where you don't take 
every word so seriously. Yes, you have to scrutinize your writing and make sure you're getting it to where it should be, but I don't think you should write it as if you're writing the Bible. It's not the most important thing ever to be written. Yeah, I agree. So don't approach it that way. Approach it as if, how can I get this point across as clear as possible? <laughs> yep, yeah. yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. All right. Well, I think there's been a good episode. Do you have any like wrap-up thoughts on any of this? Because we tackled a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I feel like I, even a few episodes back, I was mentioning I had I was having so much trouble with these two characters meeting. In uh, in the scene, and then eventually I got to a place where I was like, oh, I got it. I I figured it out, and I wrote the scene, and I was really happy with what I came up with. And it took maybe like five, six, well, not, not, not that many, maybe like three times of, of rewriting that scene until I got to a place where I was like happy with it. And I think it's just like mm-hmm. being persistent. And when you've got like, it, I wouldn't call it a writer's block, but it was definitely like a block where I knew that what I'd written wasn't the right thing. So I just scrapped it and started over again. And having that kind of like unattachment and and being able to just delete a couple pages and go for it again is very useful. Yeah, that's one thing that I tell people all the time. Like I, th- I've been very vocal about it. I don't believe in writer's block. I think it's crock shit. I think if you have writer's block, ninety percent of the time it's just you're afraid of writing something bad. And my advice is always like, don't worry about it. Write the fucking worst version of this. Like whatever shitty version that you have in your head you're like i know this isn't going to work just write it and then you'll read it and be like okay this doesn't work and you kind of break it down and it's like here's maybe why it isn't working so then delete it write it again it'll be a little bit better than it was last time and just keep doing that and if it's only a two-page scene you can rewrite that thing what 20 times in a week if you want to and by the end of the week that seems going to be good exactly the way you wanted it to be in that fear you have of if I write this, it'll be bad, is going to be gone. Because you're going to write the bad thing, and then you're literally going to delete it, so it doesn't matter, and you've learned from it. Mm-hmm. All right, well, until next week, it's been Film Craft. It's brought to you by Acast, mm. I was t- a.k.a. Podcast Addy. I was Addy. tempted to say Pippa. No, they know more. They sold out. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But we'll see you guys next week. Yeah.